Welcome to the Black Appalachian Coalition's podcast entitled Black Remembering, where we will bring to you the heavy and the hope across the Ohio River Valley. We want to remember who we are, where we've come from. We want to speak to the oral history of what we've done, what we've achieved. We want to speak to the ills that we have experienced while also finding solutions to those problems, those issues. We want to deal with the narrative that has kept us deeply rooted in despair. Now we want to punch through that narrative and stand up and say, we are remembering our black past and we are rooted and we are here to stay. Welcome to Black Remembering. We hope that you find your place, your space, and your voice in this podcast. My name is Marie Cochran, and we are sitting down today as another installment of Black Remembering, the podcast. Black Remembering will bring to you the heavy and the hope across the Ohio River Valley and the larger Appalachian region. This is a place where we will let our souls wander, a place where we will sit in the ancestral hymns of what continues to be embedded in our soul and keeps us moving. This is a place where we will remind ourselves that we are deeply rooted in the fabric of the region and that the Black voice has something to say. So as I sit here in North Georgia, I'm also reaching out to a dear friend who has deep roots in Western North Carolina. Good morning, Faustine. Good morning, Marie, good morning. Well, I'm glad that you decided to take some time to talk with me today. Um, we go way back um, and our first connections are with your uh, mother, your late mother, Victoria Casey McDonald. But today we're really just going to focus on you. Um, yes, ma'am. Her, her legacy, her love, her daughter, um, an incredible young woman um, who has done great things. So I just wanted to start with your name. Tell us a little bit about your name. <laughs> um, everything is about me was done with intention, including in birth and including my name. My name is Faustine Clarinda McDonald. And uh, I'm, my name's 120 years old. I'm named after my grandparents. I'm named after my ancestors that are so deeply rooted in Appalachia. Um, Faustine is my father's mother's first name and Clarinda is my mother's middle name. So I got them in the order that they were given on the side of the family. So, and uh, these women were tremendous women in the community and I'm thankful that I'm, <laughs> I'm named after them and uh, that I hold that legacy true to the next stage. And uh, that they, they were, a she wants to teach her and want to save lives and uh, in her dying breath. So my name is history. My, my name is my ancestors and what we're talking about here today, building legacy. And so I, I absolutely love it. Well, there's two sides of everyone's story. And um, 
we also mentioned that the Casey's um, family will celebrate, I think, 200 years of being in Western North Carolina and knowing the yes. line having brought, being brought from Virginia as enslaved yeah. um, women from um, to the, the mountains of Western North Carolina. So I just wanted to give that note as well. With that being that, such a historic thing to know that it's almost 200 years you know that and it's really not that long ago that we were brought from somewhere that's only two generations it's only a generation from me because right. my mother was born in 1943 so if you do the math it's really only one generation difference here. So when you think about it, people see, is it like slavery and this history is as if it was like a thousand years ago or 500 years ago. It was only really two generations away. Right. right. If you really look at it, um, and then we're only 50 years from when we had rights, well, we still fighting for rights. And so I just think it's a very historic thing to think about and know and to uplift where we've come from mm-hmm. to me and to know how far we've come, how far we still have to go. Now, I'm going to make you smile now, <laughs> um, just because people can do math and they're saying, OK, her mom was 80. Uh, what if, if she had lived would be have it been 80 in February, but you're a youngin. How old are you, Tina? 35. Right. So, <clears throat> so that even tells us how women can do incredible things. And I don't even like the term late bloomer, but it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> everybody has their own wonderful trajectory of doing things. So exactly. one of the things too I want to do is to, because we could talk about so much, but I want to focus in so we can get deep planted in the place where you're from. So before I talk about terminology, could you talk to people who might not know that much about Western North Carolina, just give them a sense of where where you're from, where you were born and raised. Yeah, I was born and raised in a small, small town, um, small county called Jackson County in Western North Carolina. And Western North Carolina is a very complex place um the minorities are very small groups and it's mostly um a white population versus you know the one percent of black population but that one percent of black population helped build all of the rest of the 90th percent that you see and but if you had asked somebody they'd be like where's the black people and, but we have these amazing churches, um, Liberty Baptist, Mount Zion, all these things in the community. God's Holy Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. God's Holy Tabernacle. We, and, you know, just to start, and um, then we didn't even, this the place I come from, I was the, my mother was the only African-American teacher for like the first like 20 some years. I was the only black in school, in my school. Um, and then, you know, when you look at it even a little bit further, um, when you look into the town, 
It's a baby town, and the only African Americans you see when it comes to like, if you were thinking entrepreneurship, which we're gonna, that's where I am, I was it. I was the glowing example. There was no other African American businesses. And that was in 2010. That's 14 years ago. That was the first time an African American actually owned a business in downtown. There had been other side businesses, of course, but all these other things in the community. But not but, Main Street real estate. No. Mm-hmm. Um, You're the first brand. Yep. Clothing brand in Western North Carolina. I was the first African American to come. Uh, yep. I was the brick first African American. Yep. To have a brick and mortar in downtown Silva. I was the first clothing brand in general, no matter who you can, talk about. Can you? We'll, we'll link to your website so that they can read the full story. But I just, at the very least, want you to name the company, the evolution of the two names. But oh, absolutely. you don't have to get into depth because I, we will link the um, the website. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, this beautiful place I come from in Jackson County, and like I said, it's complex. Um, when we talk about my brand and how I created is I have sickle cell anemia. And uh, that's actually where I'm doing this interview from right now, unfortunately, is in the bowels right, you're, of my you're in the hospital. I'm in the hospital, right. but that's what I do. I'm not going right. to, we're not going to stop fighting. We're not going to stop. Um, God has got a plan. And so that's where I'm actually interviewing from right now is your, is a hospital bed. Um, but it's not going to stop me. Um, but the reason I was saying that I was the only sickle cell patient in five counties connecting counties. I was the only sickle cell patient. And that's where the company stands from. My brother passed away of complications of sickle cell in 2004. And that's how my journey actually began as an entrepreneur, is that I did a memorial design for him. And from that memorial design, I had it on the back of God's Compass, which is now my company logo. Um, But I had tons of people want to design and it's called Survival Pride. And I created the brand Survival Pride from that after God giving me several signs that I needed to do so. And uh, so I created Survival Pride. And then I rebranded because of the South. And I mean, this is part of the story, you know, it's intertwines with being from Appalachia. Pride in the South means a whole lot. And it ain't nothing. It's open to interpretation, right. And it's open to interpretation. And so, unfortunately, survival and pride, it got narrowed into a corner I didn't really like. And a face that I really, no matter what, was a little different. And um, people that were coming in the store, even though it didn't display anything of that, um, narrowed into a corner. So I changed, we rebranded 2019 to Survivor's Journey Clothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all survivors. And we all have a journey. And that's what my brand is about. Survive by grace and living in the moment. So we're going to survive these moments by the grace of God. We're going to live in every moment like it's our last. Because you never know when God's going to call us home. So we're going to take and cherish each moment and live right. to the fullest. And that's what my brand expresses. Well, I'm going to go ahead and jump to the big thing that we wanted to um, focus some time on in this interview. Uh, recently, you were part of a national series on public television, PBS 
Southern yep. Storytellers. The series itself had a whole wide range of writers from the South. And in that particular episode, because one of the things I've neglected to mention is where you're from is very complex because there is a history of the Eastern band of the Cherokee, the Kuala Boundary, people of African descent and Scotch-Irish and you know all of this mixture of people who have come into the region to make what is Appalachian culture. So anyway, David said that he didn't want to just have something focusing on him as a white dude with a beard and camouflage. Yeah. <laughs> want to be able to talk to other people. So I want to hear from you and we're not going to worry about that background noise. Um, because yeah. you're here with me. We know the ambiance of being in a, ho a hospital room, but I would really like to hear from you how you felt about that experience. Because again, we're going to put a link to episode one and have you now just tell us what you thought about that experience of filming. Yes. And what you thought about the actual final product that did hit the screen. Yes. Um, when it comes to, um, it was, it was a process when you called me, you know, I, again, I want to extend my hand and say, Mary, I'm, I'm thankful for those little gracious pushes that I have gotten from you over the years. And I appreciate those. Um, but the process was interesting. So, and, and, and kind of beautiful story of the way God works. So I, I get this call about this interview. It's due with what they see on Southern Source and about David Joy. And I kind of forgotten about that. I, we, we went and even did this. I mean, I didn't forget about it, but it was just another interview. Yeah, you know, it was just like a basic and we were in the church and I, you know, I was like, well, this is just something else. It'll go nowhere. They're going to skip over it, you know. And so when I sat down at this church and I had to keep my computer posure and what you see on the screen with interviewing David Joy was talking about the raw facts of how land has been taken from the African-Americans in Western North Carolina, how we did have an abundance of land. Um, right after slavery and how it's kind of changed hands and forms and we've held the grasping at straws to keep what we have and it shouldn't be the case um, if you ask any other race it's generational wealth land is a part of generational wealth and that's what we've been denied um, by so many you know so many standards and so that's where I come in and in being interviewed by David Joy is me telling how I'm holding on for dear life right. to the last of my family's land that I will never give up. Um, because I think what was important in that moment with what they decided to edit in, you know, walking over the land and all the other things that they could have done um, in a literal sense, if you'd had the full episode but there were like four other people, um, mm -hmm. incredible writers like Jericho Brown, et cetera. But is that you, very often people are talking about, well, are black people in Appalachia, but then they don't talk about, well, where did these people live or mm -hmm. what did they own or what did they do for a living? It just becomes a demographic 
And like we said earlier, number. my favorite little quote is small numbers, huge impact. Mm. So that got into the narrative about Appalachia, which was not just about the banjo or the famous people who are from the area, but just everyday people holding on to family land. So I want you to, we can move ahead and just talk about, um, you know, you have the, the um, company, you know, you have your, you know, young child and you have a family, like many young people, but insult to injury, you've had to leave physically Western North Carolina to live elsewhere so that you can make a living that's, you know, beyond the minimum, but you still have this plan for this land and this legacy that you're working on. So so could you mention maybe just one part of what that is, just to give people an example? Um, I'm very, like, I'm very fortunate um, to have had the opportunities I had. I'm thankful for um, the way I was taught to always, I'm very much a critical thinker. And uh, I tell people I play chess, not checkers. Um, life ain't life ain't che- checkers, it's chess. And that's the way we play. I'll leave it that when it comes to some things. But um, when it comes to my family land, the little that I do have, which is still in abundance to me, um, when I got out of a very bad situation, previously I built a tiny home on my family land. And at first it was just for me. It's just for me. It was mine. It was my KC paradise. And that's what I called it. It's my little slice of heaven. I could drive in from town, do whatever to my little spot. You would never know it was there. It's by the birds, by the river, near the river, near the deer. By coming the Tuckasegee River. Just yeah. a beautiful little, little tucked up on the hill in the holler. You need to know anything about a holler, it's in a holler. And, uh, but what I have done and created, just to give you that little scene, and it sits on a little, little tiny home. And, uh, as Marie, you know, you mentioned I left. I left to, um, gain new experiences. But, um, in that kind of evolution, I created Casey Paradise Tiny Home on Airbnb, where you can come and experience. Um, getting the tiny home experience. And that's what I've created and cultivated that I kind of naturally walked into because I just wanted somebody to take care of my tiny home, right? I was going to involved into me now being an Airbnb host. And um, inside that Airbnb, we have my mother's two books. So people get to know the history of the land that they're on. It's even in the description that I've done. And then they also have black artists in there. And so local artists. So I'm making sure these people understand that not only were black people here, but what we did in the community. And that's how I'm contributing to that is to do the tiny home on my land. And uh, that's a little bit of the legacy that I'm creating for the Casey family. Because we own 20 acres, and now we only have a little bit left. Um, but with that little abundance, I plan on making sure that people always know about the Casey's. And the mom, Clifford, was the first black, um, black, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the chief of the Colby Fire Department. 
that he got to a fire station. They got to before the five guys at the fire station in a fire truck. He beat them to a fire call on a horse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Superhero status. You know, um and that's another thing too when we talk about these images we have of blackness. It's like being a part of the land, not being afraid of the land, not being tied to the land in terms of a cotton field, but being able to know how to navigate and survive and enjoy the land. But I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up what could be, again, an incredible like hours and hours of conversation. Yeah. Um, but I want you to talk, we'll end the way we began. And at the very beginning, you talked about the meaning of your name. Yes. Now I want you to talk about the meaning of your son's name. That's the driving force of the legacy. It so is. We, we know that. So um, to uh, end where we began, there's a little, little backstory I wanted to put in there is uh, as I was filming with David Joy, though I did not get in Southern Storytellers, um, I got a call that they wanted a more in-depth about Casey's. So we're walking this land two years ago. Um, me talking about my mother and her history, talking about the Casey family, the tiny home. And I have these pictures to go back. Um, I didn't know, but in that time I was growing my son I was pregnant with my son in the historic moment. Uh, I was pregnant with my son. I did not know. Found out a couple of months later that I was um, pregnant. So I was in the very service of my pregnancy when I was talking about it. My son's name is Victor Lee Crimmins. Victor, he is named after my mother, Victoria Arvella Casey McDonald. And she had a twin brother named Victor. So if he would have been a girl, he would have been named Victoria. But since he is a boy, he is Victor in honor of my mother and of the Casey family. And then his name is Lee. Like I said, we do everything with intention and calculation. His middle name is Lee, just like his father's middle name is Lee. Because our legacy is everything. And even in his name, he's being passed down the legacy of the family. Because some people don't believe this, but your name and your word and your bond is everything. And I wanted to make sure that he stood out. And he knew who he was. So he could always say his name proudly and know where he came from. So that's the, that is uh, starting in the where we began. I don't know. <laughs>